Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Now, uh, some of you were not here last week and I'm going to do a quick review. Well, it may not be so quick, but a review of last week's message. Uh, the message last week was designed to help you usher in the new year with some right focus on the direction that you should be looking and the fact that you should be letting those negative things in the past go. So by way of a quick review, the message last week entitled The Two Faces of January was designed to prod you into moving in a positive direction at the start of this year, 2018. Now, as I pointed out last week, the two things I urged you to do was number one, let go of the past, especially the challenges and unpleasant things of last year, and focus forward on the positive good that God has in store for you, 2018. The two faces of January is derived from the Roman mythological god Janus, J-A-N-U-S, from which we derive the name January. And Janus had two faces up on the screen, you can see that? Had a face like we have this way, and a face at the back of the head, which enabled him to look to the past, but also look to the future, but not just look to see the future, uh, and it's unfortunate that we don't have those same properties. And that's why I brought the message last week. Janus was a god of transition, transition of movement and motion, transition and changes, who overlooked all of the changes, such as changes in conditions, changes from periods of time and ages, changes from one year to the other. Janus sat as a, as a guardian over the passage of the old year, say the old year that ended in December, and the advent of a new year, which began this month in January. My point last week was this, that unlike the god Janus, we humans cannot see the past and the future at the same time. And when we try, we are drawn more closely to the past. Why? Because we are familiar with the past. We just went through it. We don't know what the future holds. So our pull is to the things that are behind. And then unfortunately, we cling to things from the past. And my urging to you was to let go of those things. Now, it's easy or easier to say let go of the negative things and so forth. But I'm talking about you have to let go of even the good things. And when I say let go, I mean let go in the sense that you're not holding and clinging to that memory and thereby rendering yourself unable to receive and accept anything else because you're clinging so closely and tightly to that good thing. Uh, you know, we, we have that little saying that comes from the Bible that it has come to pass. That's for good things as well as bad things. And you might say, for example, that... Uh, my birthday last week was the greatest thing that happened to me in years. And I just wish I could cling and hold on to that day and the memory of that day forever. But you can't 
because it has come to pass. Now, by clinging to the past, we cling sometimes to hurt feelings, disappointments, losses we suffered, financial setbacks, broken marriages, strained family relationships, and other things that we consider as failures. And again, I said holding on to the past unduly will block your ability to focus forward on the good that God has in store for you this year. And he does have good in store for you because God only has good. I pointed out something else that you need to understand about challenges and tests of the past. The cause of the problem and the difficulty is in the past. But the purpose, the good that can come out of it is in the future. So if you don't look to the future, you may never see the good that is contained and that would be unfolded out of the challenges that you went through. Holding on to the cause traps you into seeking the blame. You know, who did it? Who caused it? Why did it happen to me? What did I do to deserve it? And it helps you maintain the, the feeling of resentment, hurt, and again, disappointment. Now, let me just zero in on that word resentment. Uh, a lot of times, uh, uh, understanding where a word comes from and what it means can help us. Resentment comes from the same root word as resense. So when you are sitting there resenting something that happened, you are actually resensing it over and over again. It's like a motion picture playing in your mind. And by the way, playing on your mind. So you really want to let go. And last week I quoted the great wisdom in the words of Apostle Paul who wrote in Philippians 3.13, and you can go there if you want to, 3.13. Philippians 3.13. This is where Apostle Paul says this. Verse 13. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So letting go of the negative things of last year which are behind you, is the first step to take in this new year. Now, the second thing I urge you to do in last week's message was to start the new year with a commitment to get in motion and set your hands to some project, some work, and to set your mind more clearly and directly on learning more of God's word. As I pointed out last week, Janus, from whom we get the name January, was a Roman god of motion and movement who oversaw all transitions, all transitions. And as I said, transition signals motion and movement. You're moving from one point to another. Could be from one home to a new home, from one state to another, from one city to another, from one stage to another in life. Could be moving from one grade to another, from the 12th grade into becoming a freshman in college. It could be moving from a lower position to a higher position on the job. It could be moving from sickness to health. But there's always movement involved. And the only thing that steps on the movement is Y-O-U. Holding on to the past, not letting go, traps you in your present situation and you step on the movement 
that will transition you into something better. So forth. So as I said last week, you can take away from Janus that you need to get in motion and to do something and start doing this right now, this week, this month. Now, we can get a sense of the need to get in motion from Janus, from whom we get, again, the name January. This is true even though Janus is a Roman mythological god. But I asked a question last week, and I'll ask it again. Do you know that our god is a, not just a, but the god of motion? God, who is the God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is really the keeper of transitions, the author of motions and movement and so forth. I like to describe God as being motion sensitive, and I talked about this last week. Motion sensitive means that he moves when he detects movement from you. It's like that lamp or light that comes on in a room because you are its program to respond to your movement. You come in, your motion is picked up and the light goes on. You move and the light responds to that movement. This is how God the Father works. Look at James and you need to go back to this James chapter four, verse eight. James is at the end, next to Revelations. Before Revelations you have James, Peter, and John. James chapter four, verse eight, which says this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You move close to God, and he will move close to you. But the first move comes from you, must come from you. Now, how do you draw near to God? You draw near to God by drawing near to his word. Because it's in his word that you find out, first of all, his great and precious promises that he has for you, you find out that what you are supposed to do as a Christian believer, it's in the word. You find out that all things pertaining to life and godliness have been given to you. He has given you great and precious promises, but you don't know about them unless you study and read about them in his word and so forth. Coming to church on Sunday, Bible study on Thursday and Tuesday noon, we will help teach you some of these things but you have the textbook with you at home, and that's the Bible. You can study it anytime. You can open it up at any time. And you could almost do this and come to a page and you're gonna find out something that is helpful for you in the Bible. <coughs> you move, excuse me, you move to study, learn, <coughs> and understand and apply his word to your life in faith. This drawing near to God is so important. And no one puts it better than the 14th century German Catholic priest, Meister Eckert. Meister Eckert lived a long time ago. He was born, by the way, in 1260. And he, in my opinion, has the clearest and most absolute concept of God than almost anyone down through the ages. He was a German Catholic priest, a member of the Dominican order. And it's hard for me to believe that the people in Germany, because he was in an, uh, a, a German region where the people were by and large what we call peasants, farmers, and so forth. It's hard for me to believe that they really understood some of the great things he was teaching. 
So I think that he was really teaching those for all of the ages and so forth. And unfortunately, the, his concept of God was too real and personal for the Catholic Church, so they burn most of his writings. So we do have some of the things that escape that. Uh, but he, in my opinion, was one of the clearest thinkers when it comes to the absolute realization and understanding of who and what God is. Meister Eckert. So, way back in the 14th century, he observed this. He says, our human actions and motion receive their worth from a mind completely devoted to God. He adds, direct your study to this end, that God shall be great in you, so that in all your comings and goings, your zeal and fervor are toward him. In fact, I'm continuing his, the quote from him. In fact, the more you do so, that is, the more you study and learn of God, the better your behavior will be, whatever your work. This is my Eckert. But then he goes on to say this, and you've heard me quote this before. He says this, and this is a great thought. He says, hold fast to God, and he will add every good thing. Seek God, and you shall find him and all good with him. To the man who cleaves to God, God cleaves and adds virtue. Cleaves is just another, it's an old-fashioned word. Person who clings to God, God clings. Thus, what you have sought before now seeks you. What you once pursued now pursues you. What once you fled now flees you. Everything comes to him who truly comes to God, bringing all divinity with it, while all that is strange and alien flies away. You really need to get this. He says, when you cling to God, what happens is that the things you were seeking begin to seek you. The things that you were pursuing begin to pr pursue you. And the things that you were fleeing now flee you. They leave you. It's so important. Beca why? Because only good can exist where God is. Nothing negative, nothing evil can exist. So the more you unite and combine with God, the more all of those things that he calls strange and alien flies away. Now, again, Eckert is urging us to move. He says, everything comes to him who truly comes to God. This is another way of saying, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. Now, as I said last week, in addition to being motion sensitive, God promises his precious gifts and promises the things of God that are provided for us believer are voice activated. And again, they are activated just like your Amazon Echo device responds to your voice when you say, Siri, order two tickets to this or that movie or order a pepperoni pizza from Domino's. Voice activation is how we get the things of God to get in action for us. They are voice activated. Voice activation is based on the model established by God himself when he voice activated the whole world and everything in it into existence. Nothing in creation took place or came into existence until God said, let there be. Let there be. Now, 
We know that thinking is important. I'm sure God thought about creation and what might go into it uh, before it happened. But nothing happened from just his thoughts alone. They only happened when he spoke, when he said, let there be. Now you see the importance of what you say clearly set forth in the scripture that we're all familiar with. That's Mark eleven twenty three. You can turn to that. Many of you know it by heart. Mark eleven twenty three, where Jesus says this. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done and he will have whatever he says. Now, if you were counting, when you include that Jesus says, says and say are in the scripture four times. Doubt and belief are each in there one time each. It shows you how important what we say, what we speak is in terms of shaping our spiritual life. Voice activation is another form of getting in motion. It is moving your lips. Now, at the same time, it is your emotion that gives vitality to your faith. We always stress the importance of faith in the teaching here at Crenshaw Christian Center. It's the foundation of our spiritual life. And we know that we walk by faith and not by sight. We also know that the just shall live by his faith. But we also point out here that faith is an act. It's an action verb and that you must add motion and movement to your faith to give vitality and reality to it. We're told this twice in the epistle of James. You were in James a little while ago at James chapter four. Back up to James chapter two and look at these two scriptures. James chapter two, verse 17 first. James 2, 17 tells us this, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And James 2, verse 26 says, or as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So you can sit all day until you're blue in the face and say, I have faith and I believe. Right. You know the illustration that Apostle Price uses, the person who goes out in the parking lot and says, I believe, and he says this to the whole world, I believe that if I get into my car and put the key in the ignition and turn it on, that I'll be able to drive my car. Now he can stand out there and say that for the next 100 years, but until he actually opens a door and gets into the car and puts a key into the ignition, turns it on, it won't happen. Just having faith is not enough. You've gotta combine the action with it. That's a simple, illustration, but it really is powerful in telling you that just believing it, just having faith for it, not enough. Faith is indeed the key to receiving all things that pertain to life and godliness and to receiving the exceedingly great and precious promises that comes from God as stated in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. You can mark it down. These are, I went over these last week. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. But it is faith matched by action. We know from Romans 10, 17 that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But you have to take action to get to a place like Crenshaw Christian Center to hear the word of God, to hear about the great and precious promises 
things for which you can develop faith. You develop faith for things that you hear and hear and hear and hear again. This involves hearing the word, studying the word, learning and understanding the word. So understanding comes from hearing and hearing and hearing, not as Apostle Price says, from having heard once, so forth. Now, you hear the word over and over again until you develop a faith for it, and then you apply that to your life and circumstances. And let me remind you of this important point. You begin the process of receiving the things of God by doing what the word tells us in Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33. You can write it down, but you, you actually know the scripture. You may not recall what's there right now. Matthew 6.33, and that is simply, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added. Seek first, the things are added afterwards. This is another way of saying what we read in James 4, 8, which tells us to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Seek first, draw near, is also what Meister Eckert, who I just read, is saying when he wrote, hold fast to God and he will add every good thing. Seek God and you shall find him and all good with him. Seeking, drawing near to God, holding fast to God, all involve human motion and movement and represents action. The action that must come first from the believer. This comes first from you, then God will act. In so many ways, the believer is told to get in motion. And we see this in many places in scripture. And I'm gonna give you a couple of these examples that I gave you last week. Uh, look at the comment that Jesus makes to the Good Samaritan, the person who came to the aid of the person who had been wounded and robbed on the wayside and so many people walked around and went to the other side did nothing. And commenting on what the Good Samaritan did in Luke chapter 10 verse 37, this is a good scripture to remember, and Luke 10 will also tell you where the story of the Good Samaritan is. But this is the very last verse, Luke 37. He says simply this, go and do likewise. Go and do. Go and do. Going and doing are both actions. Now in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says this, very familiar. He says, come to me all who are heavily laden and I will give you rest. Now I left out something there. Are you there? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Because what I just said is the way you have, you have many people who stand where I stand say. They say, come unto me all you or ye who are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus speaking. But they leave out the first important thing. It says, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. The rest comes after you, labor. Labor is action, labor is movement, and so forth. Too many Christians are prevented from engaging in labor and action by the negative habits of procrastination. I touched on this last week too. Procrastination is that great thief of time, I call it. It's the art of keeping up with yesterday. Now, as Dr. Betty loves to say, and I agree with her wholeheartedly, the Bible has an answer to everything. So turn to James, you're in James chapter four, and look at verse 13. 
This is what the word says about procrastination, which puts things off. James chapter 4, verse 13 tells us this. And this is the New King James version of this. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make profit or make some money. It says, come now. The original King James says, go to now. In other words, do it now. Not this afternoon, not later today, not tomorrow, not next week. Go now. Don't put it off. Procrastination is the heavy weight that weighs down so many people uh, uh, in terms of not getting started. Uh, so many people wait to get started until they're inspired. And they say, well, I'm just waiting here for an inspiration. It doesn't work that way. It's the same thing as anybody, anybody who the elders would tell you in, in terms of writing or preparing for a message. I know it's true for me. You may get the inspiration for a message and you may be directed to some scriptures and so forth, but in terms of really putting it together, you don't get the inspiration and then get in motion writing. Once you get in motion writing, the inspiration comes, so forth. All has to do with motion. Now, also in terms of waiting, some Christians are led wrongly by scriptures, and there are a number of them in the Bible, that urge us to wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. There are a number of them. Uh, they, are, see that they see this as saying, just sit with folded hands and wait for God to answer our prayer and solve the problem. After all, he knows everything. He knows how to do everything. We'll just wait. We'll let him do it. Now, one of my favorite scriptures dealing with weight is Isaiah 40, 31. 40, 31. You can turn to that or mark it down. And you know the scripture. Isaiah 40, 31 says this. But those or they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We love to cite this one. Isaiah 43, they that wait for Jehovah shall mount up with wings like eagles, shall run and not be weary, walk and not faint. But when you look up the derivation of the word wait, in most of these scriptures, especially this one, it comes from the Hebrew word kava. Wait comes from the Hebrew word kava, K-A-V-A-H. And you can actually look it up, which means to become united with to become intertwined with and to become one with. So when you read it that way, Isaiah 40, 31 has more meaning. And I've given this to you before. When you say, they that unite with, they that combine with, they that become intertwined with, they that become one with God, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's moving to combine with God to unite with God. That's how you renew your strength. When you think about it, just sitting and waiting basically never renews our strength. In fact, it can sap your energy. You have to get in motion. If you want to be stronger, you exercise. You move those muscles, you get in motion and so forth. Same thing here. Kava, K-A-V-A-H is the Hebrew word. And if you spell it with a C, C-A-V-A-H, you're going to come up with an altogether different meaning. So it's K-A-V-A-H. God always stands ready for us to act, to move, to do something that he can bless. In the very first psalm, 
And I mentioned this last week. We see how the person who studies God's word and meditates on the word daily and in the nighttime, how he's rewarded. And let me read the reward. Psalm 1, 3. It says, this person who studies and meditates on the word, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, <laughs> there's definitely motion in several places here. We see motion and action in the study and meditation that must take place first. And of course, the prospering comes to whatever he does, not whatever he prays about, not whatever he thinks, not whatever he hopes, not whatever he believes, whatever he does. There is only prospering in whatever he does and doing is certainly work and action. Let's remember also what we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, which says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, which says, and the reason I'm going over these a little quickly because I covered all of these last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, which says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Now, this is a way of saying that we can help carry out God's work because here on earth, God has no other feet, no other hands, no other voice than ours. He works through us when we make ourselves available for him to do so. Now, this means that we have to work on things so that God can work through us. It actually echoes but 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, we then are workers together with him. This shows that we are workers with God. We're not workers for God. We work together with him. So if you want him to work together with you, you have to get busy doing something that he can work together with you doing. So if you work, he'll work. And his work adds the blessing to your work. So you must set your hands and minds to something in 2018 where God can prosper and bless your efforts. You must focus forward because God does not work in the past. God only works in the eternal now and as I said last week, the dynamics of God's universe, universe flow in a positive, direct stream this way. And if we flow in that positive stream, we are in the flow of his good and the flow of his blessings. You get outside of that uh, stream by disobedience, by not knowing, by ignorance, and of course by holding on to things negative that weigh you down from the past. Now, I urge you to set your hands to some enterprise, some prospect, uh, some project, and some effort starting this very first month of a new year. In addition to things I outlined in the message, I gave you, and those of you who were not here, I would urge you to get the whole message uh, uh, because the first part of it, I didn't cover much of it at all. And there are some things there that I think would be helpful for you in terms of getting focused in the right direction. Uh, in addition to those things in the message, I gave you a list of things that 
you might want to consider. And I'm going to go over these very quickly again. One, I said, you know, write that book. Complete that book that you always wanted to write. Two, go back to school and enroll in a class and learn a new subject. Go back to school and complete the degree that was interrupted by life. Maybe you got married, maybe you had children and so forth, and you did only two years out of a four-year degree. Go back and complete college and so forth. Four, take that correspondence course in Bible studies or enroll in a Bible school if you have time and resources. Five, start learning a new language. A new language is really a good challenge to the mind that keeps the mind agile. And start learning a language like Spanish, which is so practical here in our city where we live and work and so forth. Do you know that if you spoke Spanish as a second language, it would double your chances of getting a job in the school system, in the hospital system, and in many jobs because there's so many Spanish-speaking clients and patients that they need people who speak that language. Go on a trip or cruise that you always wanted to take. Paint a picture if you have the talent. Eight, volunteer to tutor some young people in a neighborhood center. Nine, volunteer to help in a neighborhood food kitchen for the poor. And men, I urge you to become a big brother to some youngster. Apply for that new position at work that opens up this year. Don't hold back. Don't say, well, I'll never get it or they'll never select me. Apply for it. It's like the lotto or the lottery. You can't win it if you're not in it. If you don't put, you, I'm not urging you to play lottery now, but, but you're not in the game for the new position if you don't apply for it. Can't win it if you're not in it. Uh, call that relative that you haven't spoken to in years. I mentioned that uh, uh, last week because I've talked to so many people here in the Christian body who haven't spoken to relatives in years who they say we're estranged. And sometimes it's a parent and a child and so forth, or two siblings and, and so on. Now, resolve, I gave you three resolutions. Resolve that you are going to determine that you're not too old or too young for whatever you set out to do, whether that's going back to school, whether that's learning a new language, you name it. Number 14, resolve that you're going to study the word and find out for yourself what God has promised you by and through his word. And number 15, resolve that you're going to set aside a quiet time each day to meditate, to study, and reflect on the word of God. This could be 15 minutes, it could be a half hour, more time if you can. But commit that you're going to do this and set a definite time. Now, if the time has to change from day to day, but you commit, just like you write out a schedule, you commit that 30 minutes to time for reading and studying and meditating on the Word of God. So important. And again, as I said last week, as we, be, as we begin this new year, 2018, let's remember that we're not like the Roman god Janus, who had two faces which gave sight in both directions, backward and to the future. We cannot look at the past and toward the future at the same time. If we try to do this, as I said already, the stronger pull is to what's behind because that's what you're most familiar with and so forth. You don't know the future because you haven't lived it yet. So you're going to cling to the things from behind. And that was a problem with Lot's wife, which I discussed in the earlier section, not today, where Lot, when they were escaping Sodom and Gomorrah, which God was about to destroy, 
and they had been urged not to look back. Lot and his daughters ran towards the mountains. The wife turned and looked back, and you remember what happened to her. She turned into a pillar of salt, which just briefly means she was frozen in time. She was stuck, frozen with the things of the past and so forth that she had difficulty letting go of. Now, if you start 2018 with too much focus on the past, on the year and its challenges, uh, you may become frozen and paralyzed in time, just like Lot's wife. Keep in mind, as I said earlier, the cause of the difficulties in the past. The promise and the purpose for good is in the future. And you will never get to the good if you don't let go of the negatives of the past. So resolve this day in February that you will cast off the challenges or previous difficulties for the past and focus forward on the positive good that God most definitely has in store for you. And again, I commend to you uh, Philippians 3.13, the wisdom of Apostle Paul who says this. Philippians 3.13 and verse three, uh, 13, he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that's my review of last week. Now, in our remaining time this morning, let me turn to the lesson for the day, which is the value of trials and tests in your life. Now, I chose this topic to follow the message of last week, which I delivered on the first Sunday of 2018, which I just reviewed for you this morning. This is part of what I am calling reality Christianity. Now, I don't mean reality like reality television shows. I mean real Christianity, where I'm going to discuss with you some real issues and other matters that you most certainly will have to deal with during this new year of 2018. Now, I began the real issues discussion last week with dealing with the reality and the absolute need to let go of the past and also the need to get in motion. As I said, I spent time this morning reviewing this message with you and urge you to get a copy of it if you, if you did not last week. Now, I chose the topic today, the value of trials and tests in your life because no matter what we teach you here, no matter what you learn, no matter what you encounter in the way of good news of the gospel and how well you learn to apply it, the, the inevitability of some kind of challenge, test, trial, or temptation will occur that will affect your life this year. Now, this may not hit you directly. The challenges don't always hit you directly. It could be someone in your family. It could be a relative. It could be a, a, a sibling. It, it could be uh, 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 even a distant relative or cousin. It could, but you are somehow affected by it. Uh, you cannot escape it. Uh, you may get a call in the middle of the night where your son has been picked up by the police and he's in jail. Or you may discover, you know, you, you're going through your daughter's room. You're not going through it per se, but you're going through it. And you pull out a drawer and you see all of these prescription drugs. And, 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 and you see that some go back for months and whatnot. And you discover that, boy, perhaps she's addicted to opiates and so forth. So these problems really do come out of the blue, so to speak. Challenges happen this way. 
And this is not designed to frighten you or to have you stand in fear or to develop an undue anticipation or expectation of challenge. It's just to let you know that in every challenge, during the challenge, beyond the challenge, there's always a potential for good depending on how you meet it. Whether the good eventually unfolds for you depends on how you meet the challenge. And that's why I'm gonna spend time on that. Toward the end of last year, I talked about a little excerpt from the boxer, one of our favorites these days, George Foreman, whose book, God in My Corner, a spiritual memoir. There's a section in George Foreman's book called Storms Don't Last, where he tells the story that I shared with you last year. In this story, someone asked an elderly woman to recite her favorite scripture from the Bible, and she replied, and it came to pass. But the questioner said, or the inquirer said, but this doesn't mean anything. She said, yes, it does. I know, this is an elderly woman speaking, I know that whenever a trial comes, it doesn't come to stay, it comes to pass. And she said, I learned this from this scripture and it came to pass, it didn't come to stay. There's a lot of spiritual wisdom in the observation of this elderly woman that we could learn from. This little statement, and it came to pass, it's usually used as a transitional phrase, and we find it in the original King James Version well over 100 times, and depending on whether you add and to it and so forth, it's several hundred times. But it actually starts first in Genesis, and I want you to turn and see where it first comes in the Bible. And that's Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. And it's just to show you the passage. And it's used throughout the Bible after that. Genesis 4, chapter 3. Are you there? It says this. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. I just wanted you to see this is the beginning of the use of it came to pass. Now, the fact that trials, tests, and temptations don't come to stay, but come to pass, is one of the first good things that we need, we need to know about these trials, tests, and tribulations. We need to know that this because the word does not speak of if they're going to come, but when they're going to come. And again, let's go back to the epistle of James that we have been in several times this morning and listen to what the apostle has to say about trials. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Are you there? James 1, 2 and 4. In verse 2 it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Three, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Four, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. As I said, he doesn't say count it all joy if you fall into various trials. He says count it all joy when you fall. When has a ring of inevitability. In other words, you're going to fall into some trial, some tribulation, some temptation, and so forth. But this is the good news. After verse 2, everything else is good, 3 and 4. Uh, James assures us at the same time that these trials and tests that are ours, or, or that not ours, but that are sure to come, also bring with them a bundle of benefits. Verse 3 says this. You're right there, you're looking at it. It says, the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, patience is another word for endurance. It gives you staying power. It gives you the ability to 
Never give up, never quit. It said never give up spirit. That's patience. That's perseverance. That's what trials produce. And then look at verse four, which says, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I have a lot more to this message, and obviously we're not gonna get to it all today, but let me say this, if we never got beyond what's assured us in verse four, that's about as complete as it can get. Read it again. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if we don't ever get to anything else in terms of the benefits, look what you have here. They represent perfection, completion, and a state of being where there's nothing lacking. I say if a trial or test will bring about perfection, completion, and a state where there's nothing lacking, then bring it on. That's a valuable trial. It's what we call a profitable difficulty. There's profit in that difficulty. There's value in that difficulty. Now, I cited the scripture from James uh, just now to show that it is a matter of when and not if that the believer will be faced with a trial or test. It so happens that along with the definite statement of when, the scripture contains those incredible, valuable benefits. And let me just give you one other scripture this morning and we'll, we'll close for the day. Uh, that shows you that although things are gonna come, you are equipped. And the word gives you, that, gives you the knowledge to know that you are equipped to defeat them. Isaiah 54, 17, one of our favorite scriptures, 54, 17. Isaiah 54, 17, and this is the last scripture for this morning. It says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, the very wording of the scripture tells us that weapons are likely to be formed against you, but it adds they will not prosper. In other words, they will not succeed. They will not succeed. They will come to pass. On that, I'm going to have to close because my time is up. We will get back to this message next time. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.